So good to be with you guys. Um, so many great things to say about being here. Hopefully get to say them in the message, but I just want to jump in right now if that's okay with you guys. Um, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you um, for this moment. We just posture ourselves right now to receive everything that you have to give us today. Lord, I ask for your grace in this moment to um, empower me, give me clarity in what you want to say and what you want to do in this room today. I thank you for what you've already done. Lord, would you help me to bring words to it? Would you help me to bring clarity to what you are doing in this room by your spirit? Thank you for every single person that's come here that is for a purpose and for a reason, a life-changing purpose. And so we just give you this time, and we ask you to move. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm feeling good. You guys feeling okay? Wasn't worship incredible? I feel like... All the interludes and the music, just the message was preached already. So here I am just going to recap everything that God has done. Um, but today, uh, it's funny. Usually I'm very underprepared when it comes to preaching. Um, today I feel like I'm overprepared. I have too many words because I feel like God is going in a very specific direction today. And I want to be faithful to that, which means I might have to lay a lot of my words down. So... Um, I feel like we're just going to meet in the middle, me and God. <laughs> I'm going to keep some of my words, and he's going to say what he wants to say. And um, we pray that God really just changes lives today. And um, I want to preach a message today called Grit and Grace. Grit and Grace. This is, this is something, a theme that I circle back to in my life over and over and over again. Um, so this has been with me for a long time. It's new for you today. Um, and for me today being here because it's special for this moment, but this theme. And if you look in the Word, uh, the, the Bible, the Word of God, you'll see the themes of perseverance, endurance, and resilience all throughout, all throughout the Scripture. And so that's what we see in this phrase, in this title, Grit and Grace. So when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to life with Him, our concern primarily is our potential, I don't know if you've thought it that way before, that when you collide with Jesus and place your faith in him, you unlock the potential that God has placed in your life. And that potential can only be realized by faith in him and through him. You have no way to attain everything that's in your life, the seeds that he has planted in you long before you were born. There's no way to see the fruit of that except through him. Right, So when we are talking about Jesus, we're actually talking about unlocking our potential, the potential he has placed in you. But more particularly, we're talking about the fulfillment of that potential. Right, We, we want to know, and we've heard so clearly, I'm sure if you attend this church, you've heard time and time again, every single Sunday, the potential and the promise of God in your life. If you would just hand your life to him every single day, the promises go through the roof. But we're also concerned on the other side of the coin about actually fulfilling that potential. It's amazing for someone to come and tell me how great I am. And that's great for a moment, but I actually want to become the great thing that people say that I am. So this is our concern when it comes to following Jesus. The potential of your life is found in the promises of God. And our potential is unlocked by faith in Jesus, but it's fulfilled by following him. 
As Eugene Peterson said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. So if your life is an equation, there's two things in an equation of your life. There's a constant and there's a variable. The constant is Jesus Christ. He is unchanging. He is faithful and he is true. He will never waver in his promises towards you. But there's a variable in the equation of your life. And that variable is not the circumstances around you. The variable is you. That we can change and we can waver. So why the Bible emphasizes over and over and over again that we need to persevere, that we need to endure, that we need to be resilient because the fulfillment of the promises of God in your life are not just contingent on him, they're contingent on you following him. This is what it is. So if our potential is unlocked by faith in Jesus, but it's fulfilled by following him, then we can conclude then that we participate in the fulfillment of our potential. It may seem very clear to you that that's the case, but I want to build that foundation before we go anywhere. Like sometimes we live in the tension of God is in complete control, so my efforts are fruitless. They don't mean anything. Or we have the other side that God is just going to bless whatever I decide to do. Well, I'm not here to say that it's either or. I'm saying it's both ends. There's a tension that exists between God's promise for your life and you actually walking in that promise. Your participation in the fulfillment of your potential. I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 25. I'm not sure if we have it here or not. But Jesus says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, participation, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And conversely, he says also that if you do not put these words into practice, if you do not participate in what I'm telling you, then you will be like a house built on a soft foundation and when the winds and the storms of life come, you will fall. He also gives this parable and he talks about seed falling to the soil. And one of the soils he talks about is one that is rocky. And he says the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. We love this potential, God, that you want to place in my life. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of that word, because of the potential, because of where God wants to take you, they quickly fall away. So we can understand then that storms and persecution will come. Not in spite of what God has called you to, but because of what God has called you to. And Jesus says very clearly, in this world you will find trouble, but take heart in me, the constant, because I have overcome the world. See, often God, oftentimes God doesn't want to get you out of this storm as much as he wants to empower you in this storm. Here's where it gets interesting. From a sociological perspective, here's the problem. We've learned to get our direction in life from positive feedback. Right? Think about Facebook for a moment. And this is not just me, like, 
thinking that this is the case. They've admitted this. They've actually said this. One of the people who started Facebook, not Mark Zuckerberg, but another guy, he like repented and he did this tour and he said, we did this wrong and I'm grieved by this today. The way that they built Facebook was this, that they wanted to know how to get you and me to this page more often and how to keep us there longer. And the way they did this was by positive feedback, right? A like or a comment. You kind of get addicted to this thing. And scientifically speaking, neurologically, you're actually receiving dopamine hits every single time you get positive feedback, right? And if, if you understand our age that we live in, we're now talking about behavioral addiction. We're talking about addicted to social media. It's because of the way that it was formed. It actually gives you dopamine hits, the same thing you would get if you exercise or participate in sexual activity or if you're addicted to something, you get these pleasure centers that are, 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 are lightened in your mind and you got to keep coming back to have it fulfilled. And so we've been trained to move towards positive feedback. We get addicted to positive feedback. But positive feedback is not incorrect. We're not sitting here saying that this is not a good thing for you. In fact, it's an amazing thing. Encouragement is an incredible thing. Encouragement will keep you going forever. And the lack of it will cause you to stumble. It's not incorrect, but it's incomplete. We're not just supposed to be formed by positive feedback. And I'm afraid at times that we've actually fit God into this box. That we're only able to receive and understand his love through positive feedback. I'm going to move this way because the door is open and there's no resistance. I'm going to make this decision because nobody's telling me not to. It seems like everything's encouraging me in this direction. But what about the moment when persecution comes? What about the moment when God says no? What about the moment when everything isn't working out the way you thought? Can we receive love in that moment? Can we receive direction in that moment? We've been trained sociologically, even in this age, to receive love and direction primarily by positive feedback. It's like that guy who's in the gym or that woman who's in the gym and they're pumping iron and they look so great. And they look like Pastor Mike up here. But when they walk out of the gym, they look like me down here. Overdeveloped in one area of their life, but very significantly underdeveloped in another area of life. We're so good and pumped up when it comes to encouragement and the right way to go, but we don't know how to stand when persecution comes. Because we have not developed that muscle of endurance or perseverance or resilience. Perseverance, endurance, and resilience can only de be developed through pain. So if you're not experiencing pain or something to persevere through, you will never know or learn how to persevere. So in this message, grit and grace, these two words are juxtaposed because we often find ourselves leaning one way or another, emphasizing one or another, but the word is so beautiful how it allows us to live in this tension. This juxtaposition of two things that seem so contrasting. Where do I put my effort and where do I place it in God? And so we get to this verse, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. If you've been in church and you know the word, you're like, uh-oh, here we go, this one. 
James says this, consider it pure joy. Get excited, be encouraged, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here's the kicker. Inherent in the word persevere is that it's not glamorous. It's not pretty. It does not feel good. And so we cannot be informed then by moments what direction we should take or not by things that don't feel good. What's, what the scripture, what James is telling us here is that moments that don't feel good, let them happen. Because God is working something out in you in those moments. It does not mean that we can't pray to God that those moments would pass. But if they don't, you can assume by the love of God that he's letting you go through those moments to produce something in you. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Which, by the way, is what we pray all the time, right? I don't want to lack anything. So God's like, okay, that's what I want for you too. But here's the pass there. Here's how we get there. And so we get a hold of God's vision for our life. We get a hold of this potential. And this is amazing. Pastor talks to me or I hear something in the word or someone encourages me with a prophetic word or God speaks to me. I see a vision about my life and we're so excited about it. But that vision always, and your pastor just talked about it, that vision, that potential, that beauty of your life is always preceded by seasons of perseverance in preparation for the promise. Preparation. God needs to prepare you for the things that he wants to place on your life. Because when you train, when you work out, when you press those muscles, you, you gain in strength, right? But when you work out, as the Bible calls us to work out our salvation, when you work out, you actually work things out. There's toxins, there's, there's impurities, there's things physically and physiologically. When you work out, they get released from your body. And in the same way, there's things in us that actually need to vacate our lives so that we can actually carry what God wants to place on our shoulders. So God says, okay, I'm going to put a little stress on your life. I'm going to let you stay in that situation for a little bit because that insecurity right there, it needs to go. That dependence on that thing over there, it needs to be brought up to the surface so I can release it, so I can let it go. When you work out in perseverance and endurance, things get worked out. So this word testing, right, it's an interesting word. If you've been through the education system and you've collided with tests before, you know that there's some negative feedback that comes right when you take a test. We love it when we ace it, but when we don't, what do we learn? What do we understand through a test? A test is a proving ground. It proves whether or not you have what it takes to move on. It proves whether or not you've learned the material. It proves in this context whether or not you have the strength to stand. So if God's promise over your life is influence over hundreds or thousands of people, maybe it's just your family. 
which is probably to me more significant than the hundreds and the thousands of people. But right now in our lives, we don't have the strength to carry that much influence. We don't have the strength to carry or steward a beautiful marriage or children. So God placed tests before us to see whether or not we can carry the thing that he wants to place on our shoulders. But when we have tests from God, it's not pass or fail. It's pass or not yet. And Jesus Failure is not final. Failure is your coach. Correction is direction. Negative feedback sometimes is the best thing for you. I have two sons. If they place their hand on the stove, I want them to find some negative feedback. I want them to learn that it's not something you should do in your life. Then they're not going to learn. We understand this about human nature. They're not going to learn unless they experience it themselves. They won't be fully developed unless they understand, oh, I cannot touch that. And so if God says to us, I'm going to show you the way, that way is peace, that way is love, that way is through the storm and through the trial, we have to collide with something. His will versus our will. And until our will dies, we can't pick up his. And so he says, I'm, you're going to make it through, but I'm going to show you how to kill that will of yours. I'm going to show you the way through. My way is peace. You don't have to experience this pain. But the pain is actually in the resistance. And when you resist his path and purpose and follow your own, you receive some negative feedback. But Jesus does not say that failure is final. He says, okay, don't do that anymore. Move in this direction. Does this make sense to you? Can we keep going? So grit by definition is this. Passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future day in and day out, not just for a week, not just for a month, but for years, and working really hard to make sure that future is a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is Angela Duckworth. She wrote a book called Grit. She says this, that the X factor in success is not talent, it's not skill, it's not looks, it's not even opportunity, it's grit. If you want to find success in your life, do not stop. Just keep going. You can look around and compare your life with others and say, they have everything that I don't. But God doesn't make your promise contingent on what they have or don't have. He said it's about you and what I've given you. So if you just keep persevering in the promise that I have in your life, you will find it. So the question is, when you receive negative feedback in your life, can you persevere? Can you endure? Do you have resilience? Because here's a promise for you. Your life will rise to the level of God's vision for it. Someone needs to hear that today. Your life will rise to the level of God's vision for it, but only through perseverance. So we hit this crossroads, right? You might be thinking, thank you, Tony Robbins. That was a very encouraging message about, like, keep going, like, keep moving forward. 
We have this crossroads, and it's this. Do we double down on our efforts to persevere? Do we just hang on a little bit more? Right, like Venice Beach, there's this, you might have seen it on YouTube or been there in person, there's this chin-up bar that you can, you, can, uh, you can hang on. It says if you can hang on this for one minute, you're going to win 100 bucks. One minute, all you have to do is persevere for one minute. And these big buff guys get up there and they try to grip, but they realize that it's actually like rotating back and forth. So they get up there and they get like 50 seconds and they're sweating, 52, 54, and then they fall off. They're like three seconds away. And they're like, I could have done this in my sleep, but they didn't know that there was a variable attached that made them fall off. So what it means to double down on your effort is say, get up, I'm going to do this again. And what it means to lean into God's grace is to go get a stool, stand on it, and hang. <laughs> that you apply the grace of God to your life. You receive the grace of God for what it is, and it actually gives you the power and provision to do the work. It doesn't keep you from having to participate, but it empowers you in your participation. See, the grace of God is the means by which we are saved. We understand that theologically. The grace of God is the means by which he's glorified in our lives. In other words, I, I, I look at my life and if I had my own skill or opportunity or ability to do things, there's no way I could accomplish what God is doing in my life right now. So the only life and through yours. But grace is also the means by which we fulfill our potential and purpose in life. God's promise for you cannot be fulfilled outside the means of his grace. The Bible says the work he started, he will carry and he will bring to a conclusion. The constant in that equation is him. Grace said this already, but I'm going to say it again. Grace doesn't mean he takes away from the work, but that he gives supernatural power and provision for the work. But see, here's the kicker. It's at the point of our pain and our weakness that grace meets us. You don't need grace if you're strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this. God said this to a man named Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power or grace may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, if we avoid our weaknesses, we simultaneously avoid opportunities to receive the grace of God. If we try to get out or go around the places we've called to persevere, we'll miss the grace of God has prepared for us that we can only find in those places. If you try to skirt those moments where God says, no, stay, you're going to miss the power and provision and miraculous story that God has worked in that situation. And if you step away from the situation, you actually step away from his grace. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says this. For though the righteous fall, 
seven times. They rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. And the grace of God catches those who fall. When you slip, when you stumble, when you make a path that is not his for you, his grace catches you in those moments. But you don't have to fall to receive God's grace. This is what we need to understand as believers, that we don't have to fall to receive his grace, his power, his provision, his comfort, his blessing. Grace is sometimes only attributed to those who have fallen into sin or need the covering of God. It's not just for those places. Grace catches those who fall but lifts up those who bow. Paul says, I will delight in my weakness. I will boast in my weakness. I don't have to wait till I fall to receive the grace of God. I'm just going to get down on my knees and understand that I'm a weak person outside of the grace of God. I'm going around the process of me having to trip to receive God's goodness for my life. Grace catches those who fall but lifts up those who bow. Stay humble, stay low, and watch God lift you to places you've never imagined. Don't take situations into your own control. Receive the grace of God for what it is. So we have grit, this understanding, this survey of what it means that we have to endure, that we have to persevere. So I hope you're getting another glimpse or another option in the season that you're in right now. Instead of how can I find my way out of this thing, what does God have for me waiting in this thing? What is he teaching me, right? Because the promise is still applicable to my life, no matter what you've done. The only contingency in it, though, is that you would stay in the path that he has for you. I don't know what brokenness you're experiencing or what trap you feel you're in, but God's grace is sufficient for you. In the moments of weakness and in pressure and insecurity in your life, you do not have to fall. All you have to do is bow. We have grit and we have grace. But we go back to this verse in Proverbs. We find another moment of tension. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Well, what is it about the righteous? What is it about those who follow Jesus that allow them to bounce up off the ground and not stumble and not stay down? Right? Do they get bit by that radioactive spider like Spider-Man and now we're superhuman? Right? Is there something that changes in our DNA that we don't know how to stay down? I don't know if you've surveyed the Christian world before or grown up in a Christian family, but I can count plenty of people that have stayed down. Plenty of people that have not gotten back up when God has called them through. Plenty of people that have given up on their dream and the potential that God has placed in their life. I don't know if I'm talking to any right now. There's been times where I haven't wanted to get back up. God calls me righteous. What is it about the righteous that they keep getting back up? So there's some tension that we're finding here in this moment. Kind of want to sit in it for a moment. 
that's okay with you. Hebrews tells us, it says this, see to it that you and I make sure that nobody fails to receive the grace of God. What do I have to do then with someone else receiving the grace of God? What part do I have to play in my neighbor or my wife or my children, my family receiving the grace of God? The context there is don't let any root of bitterness grow up in you. And so if God's grace is a free gift that he wants to give to you and it's accessed by faith, how in the world could I not receive it? Is God withholding his grace from me? Is God withholding his grace from you? We just went over in scripture that God is unchanging. Revelation says that his name is faithful and it's true. So if he says that my grace is for you then, his grace is for you now, and his grace will always be for you. That he went to death. He allowed himself to be murdered by his own creation to give you grace. So how then can it be that I can't receive the grace of God, that I can fall down as a believer and not get back up? To grace is a free gift, but if my wife gives me a gift and I got my back to her, I can't receive that gift. If I'm not in a position to have faith in God again for the journey, I'm not going to receive his grace. If I'm offended or bitter by him or anyone around me, it actually takes me out of the equation of receiving his grace. Until I get on my knees and say, God, I need your grace. Unfortunately, unfortunately, but fortunately, the Bible says that God disciplines those who he loves. Which means God makes you get on your knees. God allows circumstances to hit you in life so that you would get on his, your knees. Not so that he could punish you. So that he could position you for his grace. He knows what you need. He knows that you need him. He knows that his life dying for you is everything for you. It's going to change everything. And if you're refusing it, good for him. Good for him for saying, you can't go that way anymore. I'm going to put a stop on your tracks till you look at me. This is the grace of God in our life. This is the good father that we have. And so if God's knocking on our door and saying, take my grace, take my grace, take my grace, it's what you need to get up. What about those moments where we're like, no, I don't want it anymore. This is what I feel, all of that for this. This is what God wants to do today. I, I believe this with all my heart. In Hebrews chapter 6 talks about an anchor for our soul. How many of you have an anchor tattooed on your body somewhere? Youth section, young adults, where are you at? Come on. <laughs> we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. An anchor is something specifically when you waver, when you toss back and forth, it holds you down, it grounds you, it keeps you from going in a direction that you don't want to go, even though you're telling yourself that you want to go. The anchor 
is in a hidden place. It's a place that you cannot see. You drop it into that ocean, you don't know what it's grabbing onto, but it's grabbing onto something. And the waves come and they toss you around. You want to go in that direction. They're taking you over there. But you have this third variable that's in the ground. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Another translation says this, that we hide ourselves like an anchor in his faithfulness. In his faithfulness. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. So when I'm tossed back and forth... There's something that I could attach my life to. An anchor is something that you need to drop in the water before you need it. See, the storm's coming. Something's happening. I'm feeling good right now, but I know something's coming my way. So I'm going to drop it in. There's things that you have done in your life. There's things that God has done in your life. There's markers of his faithfulness where you have dropped your anchor and he said, this is the God that I serve. He met me on a Sunday. I felt his grace. I know his love. I'm going back to that place and I will waver no more because my heart is anchored in his faithfulness. Some of us in this room need to recount the moments, the days, the times where God did not let you fall. That he built something behind your back and revealed it to you like a gift. That something should have happened in your life and it didn't. That you weren't given everything you need when you grew up, but you met God and he fulfilled all those needs. That's his faithfulness. And when there's moments in your life where you feel like you cannot make it through, you go back and survey all of those moments. God is faithful even though I'm not. And again, I will anchor myself in that faithfulness that he did it once and he's going to do it again. It's an amazing new movie out right now. It's called Free Solo. It's about this guy who scales El Capitan in California. And he does it with no ropes. This sheer cliff. It's amazing. I'm going to promote the movie right now. It's amazing. Go watch it. He literally climbs it. And he's doing interviews and stuff so you know that he's still alive. He makes it. But he does this climb called Free Solo. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm such an enthusiast. So don't worry. I'm not going to go climb out Capitan. But I'm such an enthusiast that I want to know everything about this. He's climbing like cameras all around him. This like sheer wall that's way bigger than the Chief if you've seen the Chief. No one's ever done it before, and so I'm researching, and I find out what he's supposed to be doing, which is a rope. He's supposed to have a rope. And when you, when you take a rope, there's little things called anchors. And when you climb up, you've got to anchor yourself in the wall. You've got to anchor yourself on that cliff so that if you slip, if you fall, you will be held in place. You have moments of doubt, of insecurity, moments of sin, moments of failure, making the wrong decision. You will not go past this point because you've anchored in his faithfulness. All you have to do is get your journal out. All you have to do is read the Old Testament. All you have to do is get with your pastors and say, remind me again of what God has done. You heard your worship leaders say it as we began over and over and over in Deuteronomy. It talks about remember, remember, remember. If you could only remember how faithful I've been to you, you will know that you have everything you need to move forward, even in the most pressing times of your life. There's this guy in the Old Testament named Ehud. 
Ehud was a judge before there was kings in Israel. This is Judges chapter 3. Ehud was this, as the Bible describes, a left-handed dude, a left-handed guy. And there was this season where, ironically or coincidentally, God says that he left Israel in a season of war because they had not experienced it before. God left them in a season of persecution, in a season of pain, because they didn't know what it meant to be in that place. God had to teach them so that for their future they would know how to handle it. And so God sent these guys called judges, and the second judge was a guy named Ehud. Ehud was left-handed, and he had a dagger on his right side. And it was hidden from people because everybody, weirdly enough, thought everyone else was right-handed. The security team was not very good, apparently. And so he had to go to this place, to this king that was, I believe, in Jericho. And it says this king was like a big dude, like Jabba the Hutt big, like massive. I'm not even exaggerating. You'll hear why in a second. And he, yeah, this is literally in the Bible, guys. And he's going, and he has a mission. He has a purpose. He has a potential in his life to liberate Israel, to heal, to, to set them free, to be a picture of what would be to come, Jesus Christ, a Messiah to the people. And he was walking forward, and he was going to meet this king. And it says when they got there, they turned back. They wavered. They felt insecure. They lived in fear. They went back. Ben can come up right now. They went back. He's got this mission. He's got this purpose like you have in your life, this substantial call that, that actually will bring freedom to not yourself but so many other people. Every single person in this room has this mandate from God. And he leaves and he walks away from it. The Bible says in Judges chapter 3 that he gets to this place called Gilgal. It says that he sees these stone images at Gilgal. And if you remember Gilgal, Gilgal was this place early Joshua, the book of Joshua, where the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River. They actually entered into the promise of God in their life. For years and years and years, they could not attain it. In fact, the whole generation was unable to attain it. And then they walked into the promise of God. They crossed the Jordan River, not by boat. God parted it for them. They stepped into it. The priests, the presidents went first. Different, another message right there. But they stepped into the Jordan River and the, the river parted. And they go across the river and God says to them, I want you to take 12 stones from the river, the place in which I just did a miracle in your life and walked you into my promise. I want you to take 12 stones from that place, take them out of the river and place them as a monument. And it says this, when, when, when the generations would come and your children would come and look at this monument, these stone images, they would ask you and you would say to them, this is the place where God delivered Israel where God's faithfulness was true. The promise he made to Abraham hundreds of years before came true in this moment. So many things happened, but God remained faithful. If anybody would see these, this is what they would remember. So Ehud, walking away from the promise of God in his life, comes to Gilgal. The Bible doesn't say he had this experience, but it says he saw stone images at Gilgal. 
And you can assume then that he remembered all the stories that his parents told him about all the miracles, all the faithfulness, all the provision of God, and it filled him with courage. It filled him with grace. It filled him with energy. And he marched back into that place, took the sword out of his left hand, and stuck it in the guy's belly. That was his purpose. He had to liberate from an oppressor. And by the way, he was so big that the, the sword like sucked into his belly and it was gone. Jabba the Hutt, I have to tell you. And so he walked into that place and here, this is the word of the Lord for you guys today. He walked into that place and I just read this in the scriptures before I got here. are not experiencing peace that they hear promised every single week. There's some people in here that are not experiencing every promise that you feel like should have been attained in your life. But Ehad walked into this place, stuck the sword in the guy, and he left. If you read to the end of that chapter, it says that Israel was in peace for 80 years after this. Do you know how much peace and joy and righteousness that God has prepared for you in your life? Do you know the promise and provision that he is waiting for you? Waiting for you to receive? Do you know every promise that he's placed in your life will come to pass? Not because your faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. And when you step into that promise, even though you've wavered, even though you said no, even though it hurt at times, God says there's monuments, there's faithfulness that I have given you. All you have to do is see that. March back and there will be peace in your life like them for 80 years. And I can probably bet you that Ehud did not live 80 years past that point. But the generations after him received the peace that he put his life on the line for. You're part of a house that has existed for many years before. This is for you guys. There's nothing that can stop the purpose and plan of God over this house and over this city if you would just look around and see these bricks on these walls and understand that God has moved and he's going to move again. All he needs is your guys' perseverance and endurance in the things that he's promised years and years ago. You don't have to find new promises. There's things that he said to people outside of your circumstance that you're stepping into now. All you need to do is be faithful and endure. Let's worship. Come on. There's some people in here today that need to reclaim the faithfulness of God in your life, that need to bring up to memory again the things that he's gotten you through, maybe the things that he's gotten your parents through or your grandparents through. Maybe you need to go back to this word and understand that God, his promises from beginning are coming to the end, that when he started at the beginning, we already know the end of the story, that he is faithful, that there's some wavering in your life that you need to end today that you don't want to be tossed around anymore. 
You don't want to look to negativity anymore. You don't want to see the things that you shouldn't be seeing. All he wants you to see is his goodness and his love. There's a scripture that talks about a story where Jesus walked on water. He walked on water. And he came to the boat that was being tossed back and forth by waves. And Peter asked this question. He said, Jesus, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out. You might be sitting here today being like, God, if this is your word, if this is what you're calling me to, call me out. Let me do what you do. So Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter says, I want to do that too. And Jesus says, come to me. And Peter starts walking on the water. But his walking on water was in provision that he had to look at Jesus. And when his eyes were off of Jesus, he started to sink. But implicit in the invitation by Jesus to Peter to come to him is that he would walk on water. He was not saying, I want you to sink. He was not saying, I want you to fall. And today when Jesus tells you to come to him, it's to do it the way that he did it. Not that you would sink, not that you would waver or manage your anxiety or depression, is that you would walk on water, that you would live in peace. The Bible says that he keeps at perfect peace. Those whose minds are fixed on him because they trust in him. See, looking at Jesus is not just for inspiration. It's for impartation. When you see him for who he is, you get him. The Bible says in Hebrews, somebody's got to stop me. Hebrews, it says this, if you're flagging in your faith, all you need to do is look to him and that will shoot adrenaline into your soul because he endured for the joy that was set before him. All you need to do is look at him and you will walk on the water of your life. The very thing that meant to drown you and keep you down, you will walk on top of. And so if there's anybody in this place today that wants to reclaim and bring remembrance to the faithfulness of God in your life, I just want you to stand right now. We're going to worship. We're going to build a monument in this place today. Come on.